HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Paris Gourmet, delivering specialty foods and ingredients right to your restaurant, bakery, and bar. Learn more at parisgourmet.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're bringing you four stories about lost and found culinary treasures. We are searching for what will be lost, and we're trying to rejuvenate it. What we try to do is collect these sourdoughs that contribute to the biodiversity of sourdough in order to store them, to document them, and be able to preserve them for the future. It's bringing back the history and just being part of that time that just, it's, there's nothing like it. You know, there's, there's nothing like it. When fame comes late, uh, I'm sure it's just as sweet as when it comes earlier. Tune in to this week's episode of Meat and Three. That's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, I'm Allie Kane. Welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building and growing consumer brands. When we launched a line of fresh sauces, I knew we were jumping into something crazy. Haven's Kitchen is a cooking school, cafe, and event space. A product that people buy in grocery stores is an entirely new business, and I had a lot to learn. So in my efforts to get myself educated, I started meeting everyone I know and respect who could advise me on production and distribution, sales and legal, PR, and social media. Then I started having those conversations here as a podcast so that other entrepreneurs can learn from them as well. This is the story of Haven's Kitchen Sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand, because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Becca Parrish, founder and CEO of Becca, the creative communications agency behind brands such as Ralph Lauren's The Polo Bar, Eric Repair's Le Bernardin, The Queen Chefs of King, Ignacio Matos's Estella, I could keep going, Casa how do we pronounce Dragones. it? Dragones. Tequila, mm-hmm. Jay-Z's Champagne, um, and the most recent star of Netflix Chef's Table, Mashama Bailey of The Grey, among, I feel like, so many others. Um, it's kind of amazing. Yeah, You're, almost 15 years Yeah, December, so it's crazy. awesome. I'm so psyched to speak to you, Becca. Thank you so much for coming. Um, I often sort of joke that 
even if people weren't listening to this podcast, I could kind of use it as like a ruse to like bring in <laughs> experts and get like all sorts of free advice. And yeah. you were definitely like someone oh, I boy. want some free advice from. Okay, so happy for you listeners, but also psyched for myself in this case. <laughs> um, so I always start a little bit with, you know, what you were like as a kid, what you mm. wanted to be. Obviously, you probably didn't know you wanted to go into PR slash no, communications. No, absolutely not. In fact, quite the opposite. And so, that I felt like I was a storyteller and um, always liked to write, even as a child. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be an attorney, weirdly. Yeah. I had read uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh-huh, Atticus Finch. Atticus like. Finch, that's right. And I thought he was just an incredible person and but my father like was so not into that he talked me out of law school really mm-hmm. interesting so you wanted to be attorney not just like from being little but like kind of all yeah. the way through high thinking, school yeah and what I was going to do for graduate school oh wow but I always loved telling stories and I always liked asking questions first why did he talk you out of it just you know curious. it's funny I, I should ask him um and we have talked about it through the years he he was kind of a hippie frankly yeah I was Both my say, parents was he were like hippies? a creative yep. guy um yeah, that's a sidebar, but my parents had a trapeze <laughs> act in the only collegiate circus at the time. So they We're met, they met, definitely going to talk about that. Trapeze. Yeah. I have some amazing videos and photos. But, um, but I think he, yeah, he thought they were evil. And I really thought yeah. of certainly using Atticus Finch as an example, but they were champions of people. Right. And I have found that I really do am more comfortable doing what you're doing right now and asking people questions and championing people that I believe in yeah. and causes that I believe in um, versus, you know, kind of talking about myself. Um, <laughs> right. So so that was kind of where it began. And I think loving to tell stories and loving to write, that also became, began at a young age, as did the love of food. Right. So were you a food person when you were little? I was. And I grew up in Pensacola, Florida, Northwest right. Florida. And were your parents in a trapeze act in your Florida. whole childhood? No, or? they gave it up. They okay. gave it up. My dad's then they joke got, is like, once he fell on my mom on the net, then they had to get married. Oh, <laughs> So there it was. It's very romantic. Yes, it is. It yeah. is. Um, but the, we had a big garden in our backyard uh-huh. in Florida and grew all sorts of vegetables and uh, potatoes and flowers. And oh. um, I like to say, though, my God, the amount of squash and zucchini. Yep. I ate like yeah. year round. It was frozen. Yeah. We would pickle everything. We had pickled green beans. And I, even in, at the, you know, hands of someone like Ignacio Matas or anyone, right. I can't, a zucchini just does it's nothing just, yeah. for me. That's how I feel about Cracklin' Oat Bran. Yeah. It's a very different story, but I OD'd one night like studying for exams. And Forget it. I was not okay. For, like, <laughs> I, you know, those boxes yes, of cereal totally. that are like yes. bigger than your like upper torso. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, just never. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's just and not okra. the thing. I, yeah, I it's still, not because I, I overdid like it. Okra. I just, I know, I know. I still like it. I feel like very, I feel like bad I know. saying it. That's okay. Yeah. Um, I do feel bad too sometimes, but I don't care. I ate, right. an, you know, more a than lot a of modest zucchini. sufficiency. Yes. yes. Um, but so childhood was pretty, you know, I grew up on the coast of Florida and mm-hmm. we had lots of Appalachian, Appalachian coast uh oysters we had mm-hmm. tons of huge gulf shrimp uh fried mullet with cheese grits mm. and homemade pick em, i mean uh, bread and butter pickles were my yeah. that was my favorite meal so you ate well as a kid i ate very and well. it doesn't sound like you ate a lot of sort of industrial food complex foods. not at all right you know although you know like school lunches i had a miss debbie i mean mm-hmm. i was obsessed with all the miss debbie mm-hmm. flavors i had a one of those in those little package i mean mm-hmm. packaged um sweets i had one every single day yeah 
And I had Chef Boyardee sometimes, but there was a lot of fresh food in right. my house. And I did sort of take it for granted. And and it's funny now to represent restaurants, you know, for coming on 20 years, because uh, my company's just 15, but years old. Um you know, I think about what a thrill it was to go to restaurants. Yeah. And it was like occasionally we would go to this Chinese restaurant and occasionally we would go to this Italian restaurant and it would be on a Friday night. And right. I have an older brother and sister, all of whom now live in New York City, not my parents. but um, And and I just, I always loved that romance yep. of it. Mm-hmm. And I remember telling my dad, I was, like, I was like, can you imagine like being on a date? Like, right. he's like well, no, what do you mean? <laughs> What's wrong with right here? Right. Be, be right. where your feet are. Right. Um, anyway. So yeah. what... So you, did you move straight to New York after no. school or? No. And I, did you, you had already decided you weren't going to go to law school. So were you then sort of like, I like to write, so I'll be a journalist. Yes, or, that okay. was my plan. That was the plan. And I got my master's in journalism from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Great. Which was a great school. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's another sidebar. I mean, kind of a tough time, you know, um, I just was really, it was the toughest academic uh program I'd ever been in. Yeah. I went to Florida State undergrad, which was great, but, you know, very, it was like the number one party school. Right. Like, yeah, I was there. <laughs> I did yeah. my part. But, um, but UNC was very intense and it was very focused, the journalism program. I mean, I think when I, what I've heard about like Northwestern's program or Columbia's program, which really I didn't even know about. Yeah. I mean, I didn't visit New York City until I was um, in my early 20s uh, when wow. I met someone at in graduate school who was from Wayne, New Jersey. Uh-huh. And she, we came to visit her friend on the Upper West Side. And I literally, it was like Stars. instantaneous yeah. love. Like yeah. I had never felt so home. Like home, like I fit yeah. in yeah. ever. Because I didn't feel like I felt, yeah. fit in in the South. And thankfully I had weirdo you know, progressive parents who built a clay tennis court in the backyard yep. and we did not go to church and it right. was very weird. Yeah. And, um, I would go to Bible school with some of my friends just as to see what it was about. Right. You know, I'm kind of like, I'm getting such a good visual of your yeah. childhood right okay, now. Good. It's like, I'm feeling like I'm reading a memoir. Oh, it's right. really, that's good. Very painted visually. Yeah. Um, so you thought you were going to be a journalist I you did. went to UNC. I did. And then how, what, how My did you... My first job, well, then I got a fellowship at the um, St. Petersburg Me, uh, uh, Media Studies. Right. The What's it called? Oh, brain. I don't know. Um, but you were saying something about Chapel Hill, yeah. and I think I interrupted you. The, the Pointer Institute for Media Studies okay. in St. Petersburg, Florida. I would definitely not okay, be able great. to help you out yeah. with that one. But the program was focused more oh, on... On sort of... Um, Acad- like law, like okay. I remember us studying. Um, you know, what if there was a, a literally a po- porta potty called "Here's Johnny," uh-huh. and it was sort of you know what is a public figure, right? And and less so on being in the field reporting. Right, got it. it. Very academic. Got it. Like my, um, I got a minor in women's studies, and I wrote about women in North Carolina politics. Uh huh. So it wasn't. You um, weren't boots on the ground, no, on the beat. Not wanting, at all. Right, got not it. And you wanted a little more of that. I did. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was it was great, and 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 Chapel Hill's fantastic, but but it it didn't. I didn't feel like I was out meeting a bunch of people and reporting. Right. Right. At the media at the Pointer Institute for Media Studies, I remember a reporter, a young reporter from the New York Times, came and spoke to us and talked about like keeping the bar high, mm-hmm. and you know setting your standards high, and sort of the difference in. Not advertising, but you know, church and state, and, and yep. the importance of keeping your sources private, and and all of that about setting the bar high, and that stuck with me very much. But 
Then I got my first job was as a newspaper reporter in Montgomery, Alabama at the Montgomery Advertiser, which huh. was um, in the capital of Alabama. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because I was from not far from that. My house was five miles from the Alabama border. Right. But um, but I hadn't met that type of it was a different because I different grew, type of a different type of Southern. Yeah. yeah. And it was very, I mean, the disparity between very rich, wealthy mm-hmm. people and um, and then poverty, just like street to street. Yeah. Um, and I'd met someone at, at Pointer who want, was fascinated, was from Marblehead, Massachusetts, and was fascinated by the South. And actually, Montgomery has a vibrant cultural scene, interestingly. Mm-hmm. There's a Shakespeare arts festival there. Mm-hmm. I know Aggie Gunn, Agnes Gunn, mm-hmm. has just built a the, this lynching museum huh. that is very powerful. I cannot yeah. remember the name of the architect that built it, but that's recent. Um, and he was just enamored on the cop beat. I mean, he was just having quite a time. <laughs> and then I was a features reporter, which okay. at most places you have to build to that. But for right. some reason at this, and there was a lot of like writing about horse shampoo, uh-huh. for women <laughs> using horse shampoo. Yep. I wrote about the first um, deaf Miss Alabama. I cannot remember her name. Right. Um, I The big story, my big break was when my editor I came into the paper and she said I just read she would always subscribe to the little community papers uh-huh. and she said I just read this story and it seems weird and you should go down to Tallahassee Tallahassee Alabama and report on it because it was like these two friends had been arrested for the murder of another friend uh-huh so I get in my car and um and you think about there's no phones I mean it's, just, right. it's hard to yeah, imagine totally. isn't it? and I and I drive it's like 50 minutes and I go to the high school where the girl went. Uh-huh. And the principal was just like, it's just such a shame. You know, it's just so ridiculous. These sides of the river, what side of the river you were born on, side you fight for. And, you know, and the weird thing is, the principal is telling me, is her uh, brother was shot in a drive-by, oh my a drive-by shooting like right. a few years ago. And I was like, well, who was charged in that? And he's like, no one. No one was charged. And... So he's like, I can take you to see the mother if you want to. Now, meanwhile, I'm 24 right. years old. Right. I don't know what I'm doing. I can't check in with my editor. I mean, I guess I could have used his phone right. at the school, but I'm just like, yes, let's go. And ended up, we went to the woman's house and ended up this huge story for the paper. I was subpo- I was on the front page of the, the Montgomery Advertiser. I was subpoenaed to to appear in court, which was a huge deal, right. so, which involved all the the publisher and the managing editor right. and everyone. It was a big deal at the time, and to me. Um, but that was really exciting. Yeah, I would imagine. So why did you not stay in journalism? Because I visited New York City. And that was and the end of really that. And <laughs> really was like, I want to put in the time to be a New York Times reporter, but I'm impatient. I'm right. terribly impatient. Right. And... And I didn't feel like I had enough time. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So you came here. So you left being sort of like, I mean, this star on the beat wonderkind in Alabama. I was there not even that much time. And then you show up in Manhattan. I feel like you're like that girl. And you're like looking around and you take off your hat and you throw it in the air. And that, that sounds amazing. I wish it were like that. <laughs> and it wasn't though. But um, I mean, there was a I, there was a uh, interlude in mm-hmm. Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. Where I uh, want so I wanted to get out of Montgomery. It was too much the same of Pensacola. I mean, it was just right. I'd done this. I wanted yep. to to you know go north. And so Atlanta, I was reading the classified as one did in mm-hmm. 1995 or whenever it was, and. Um, 
and there was a job for a communications manager for a rechargeable battery recycling corporation. Okay. And my, I'm talking so much about my dad. He'll be thrilled. Um, <laughs> my dad was very ahead of his time in terms of like sunscreen, seatbelts, right. uh, recycling. Um, kombucha, he, probably. Kombucha, yeah. yeah. He was just there. <laughs> but, uh, but so he, he I, so I was very much focused on the environment. He gave me like Silent Spring when I graduated from college. Right. Um, and so... So I was interested in this rechargeable. But he's like, you're never going to get that job. That's like a job for, you know, I don't mm-hmm. know. That's like a 30-year-old job. <laughs> so I applied. I get the job. Uh-huh. And that, the the spokesperson for the rechargeable, RBRC was the name of it, was Richard Karn, who was at the, at the uh, on the hottest TV show at the time called Home Improvement. Okay. He was like the handyman. Sure. Yep. Really nice guy. Yep. His contract required him to have first-class travel and go to New York to do PSAs and these uh-huh. commercials with the big advertising agency, uh-huh. which was Gray. Right. And I, as a communications manager, got to accompany oh him. Oh, my gosh. So I like went right. on a jet, obviously, for the first time in my life. <laughs> right. I ate at La Bernadette. Right. I ate at Le Cirque. Aww. I had my first tasting uh, menu at Gramercy Tavern where Tom Calicchio was cooking. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. So the then world I, literally yes. opened up. Yep. So the woman who was our contact the, at the Gray said, I, I'm not the Gray, at Gray right. Communications, said, I'm going to start my own PR firm, and would you Got it. come to New York? And I was like, hell yeah, if you will pay me to come, pay me to move, <laughs> I, will come. I will come. So she did, and her name was Dorothy Crenshaw. She still runs a, um, an agency here. She That's split amazing. from her par- partner at the time. But, um, but so I was like the 11th employee, and my four years there, we got to like 60 employees and opened an office in Connecticut. But during my time there, one of the first clients I pitched was Starbucks with her. Wow. And we got it. Wow. And this was 1996, and I had to go to Seattle and like train to be a barista. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, we opened the first Starbucks in Harlem. Wow. And Howard Schultz was very involved, and Magic Johnson was there. He was right. the spokesperson. Um, and that was really cool. And so you were now hooked. And I was hooked. And I remember, I remember, this is so fun to think about now because we do so much of this now. But right. I was like, my mother cannot have any dessert without a coffee, a cup of mm-hmm. coffee. And then I, you know, you sort of take on these habits. So I was sort of that way too. And so we're talking about coffee. And I was like, we should pair. And I'd been to Gramercy Tavern. Uh-huh. So I was like, why don't we get some of these pastry chefs and pair chocolate, I mean, coffee with dessert. Right, right. So Claudia Fleming. Uh-huh. I asked her. Who was the pastry chef at at Gramercy Tavern at the time, right? And so we did this whole tasting. I I invited some other people. I don't remember. I only remember Claudia. But we did this whole For the opening of Starbucks? No, this was, yeah, for a different Starbucks. One of the openings. But it was not one in the Harlem. It was one downtown. But that's so funny now. It's like pre-sweet green, you know, in a way. Well, yeah. Yeah. And like collaborations. Hello, you know. Exactly. 20, is that 23 years ago? Yeah. Wait, how is that possible? Uh, no, 22 years ago. Okay. Whatever. A long hell. <laughs> you know, what goes around comes around. Yeah, um, right. Okay, we're going to take a little break and now we're going to uh, then we're going to talk about all sorts of fun PR and branding and communications Sweet. stuff. This episode is brought to you by Paris Gourmet a leading specialty food importer and distributor, servicing the New York tri-state area and beyond, from coast to coast. I'm Jordan Werner-Berry, the host of Modernist Breadcrumbs here on HRN. When it comes to freshly baked artisan bread, 
It's key to pair it with butter that's made with the same amount of care and attention. And you don't have to go all the way to France to find truly amazing butter. Vermont 83% is an American butter made using traditional French methods. It's produced by a dairy cooperative in New England. And as a Vermont native, I love that this delicious butter is made locally by family farms. Vermont 83% is great for cooking, baking, and serving on your table with fresh breads and artisan cheeses. It's proudly distributed by Paris Gourmet to restaurants and grocery stores around the tri-state area. Learn more about Paris Gourmet and all of their gourmet savory foods and pastry ingredients at parisgourmet.com. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Jimmy Carboni, and I'm the host of Beer Sessions Radio here on HRN. My show is an audio ale salon celebrating the world of craft beer, cider, food, and more. Through discussions with industry insiders and knowledgeable beer fans, my friends and I explore every aspect of the brewer's craft, from grains to pint glass and tasting to toasting. You can find Beer Sessions Radio wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Hi, I'm back with Becca Parrish, founder and CEO of Becca, uh, the, I would say, rock star communications <laughs> agency. Um, so now getting down to brass tacks. Um, I guess I, I've heard a lot of times, and I've heard it when I opened Havens, and I've heard it when we launched the sauces at Whole Foods. Um, you really only get one chance mm-hmm. to make a first impression, or you really only get one launch. Mm-hmm. And I guess my first question for you is, you know, whether it's a product or a place, mm-hmm. um, are there sort of any secrets to a great launch right. of anything? Yeah. I think if you have um, the time or you have to make the time to do the homework and to ask the not they shouldn't be hard questions, but maybe they are. Um, I mean, obviously, we're living in the time where everyone's a brand. You're a brand. You have your personal brand. And then you have Haven's brand. And I mean, it's kind of fascinating. And I think that you to to understand how like I like to say we're in the era of too muchness where there's Mm -hmm. too much email. There's too much good television. No one has time to watch or I don't. Yeah. Uh, you know, too many awesome podcasts, yep. you know? No, it's true. Um, so how are you going to break through and find your people, find your audience? Yeah. So I think to really ask the questions, who am I? What do I stand for? What are my values? And I use me as a, you know, meaning that can be your a, yeah. a brand, a place, sure. a person, a product. Um, and what are you going to put out in the world? Right. And that has to be crystal clear. And it has to take advantage of who you are and what makes you different. Yeah, I think that's part of, you know, I, I've, I think people who've listened to me on the podcast have probably heard me say this a number of times. But I feel like that's almost, we know at Havens, like we know who we are and we know what our mission is. And, we, and I feel like we have a pretty good idea of what we put out into the world. I think it's very hard for us for some reason, almost every Instagram post, you know, we have, we struggle with what are we trying to say? Like who, what do we want this to convey? Yeah. You know, like it's hard to have something and there's, and I think we have so many different things going on and mm-hmm. so many different facets. I, my guess is that most people take Havens out of it for a question for a second. Mm-hmm. I think most people with places or with products feel like 
I'm clean ingredients. I also have a star chef. I'm also, the design is beautiful. Like you could name 15 things. Mm -hmm. I think the hard part for a lot of founders is figuring out. What are the three or four? Yeah, exactly. How to narrow it down. And then how to kind of speak about those things. Because we all want to say everything that's good and different about us. Because pretty much every founder thinks that they have completely Mm -hmm. invented something that's never (laughs) existed before. Even though. It's another restaurant or mm-hmm. it's another mm-hmm. sauce, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so do you, how, how do you help people kind of honing in on that to stuff? To distill. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it, there are, I mean, to break it down to being uh, as simple as asking really thoughtful questions and listening. I mean, that's what's been exciting for me going back to what I, who I yeah, thought I was going to be. A little a journalism. journalist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That really it, and I see it, I see, it still happens in meetings. I, you know, I, you know, it's just asking thoughtful questions. And I think, um, I think there's not enough of that. I think everything's moving too fast and, mm-hmm. and people, um, you know, either, I think there, there's a difference between sort of ambition and which everyone has and, oh, I'm going to, you know, market myself and put this forward. And then there's just being real. And I mm-hmm. feel like I have uh, been honored to have a good nose for that real Yeah and real people and real stories. And then it's so easy to champion those people. Yeah, it's true. If you think about the the brands and the chefs and the restaurants you represent, they have such a clear sort of Jungian archetype. Hmm. You know, they have such a clear identity. Mm -hmm. You would not mistake Le Bernardin for any other restaurant. You know, you just wouldn't. Um, And I think that's really cool. And probably, yeah, you've got a good picker Mm -hmm. is the expression I guess I don't I don't know um so aside from the launch Mm -hmm. you know the the sort of follow-up question to that is I almost feel like the launch is the easy part in a way yeah because it's new and it's shiny and people want something to write about yeah um how do you help brands and restaurants stay relevant Mm -hmm. when there isn't necessarily a news Sure. Story. Well, first of all, you have to, you know, going back to identifying, like, what's your DNA, mm-hmm. what you're standing for. Then, I mean, and then it comes to, to being creative. Like, what are you putting out in the world? Or, or what? Do you, how are you evolving? I mean, to mm-hmm. your point about there is one chance to, to be new. I think that is true. But, but you know, brands and people do evolve mm-hmm. and they change. And so it, then I think... Is there something that you can own that's particular to you? Is there some holiday that's resonant to you or your right. family? Is there some place that you go that only you know about? Is there some weird right. ingredient that you just are hot for and you can make this one particular thing based on this holiday? So it's right. um, kind of owning who you are and then finding ways to, to, to you know, create news, but that's real. That's right. That's true. Right. Um, that actually, that makes sense. I feel like I saw something recently, like an Estella, oh. he does something with a salad or he does well, something Well, I was thinking with- of um, Shama Bailey at The Grey, uh-huh. who um, is on the new season of Netflix and it's just phenomenal. And, and even with that, I, I think like my whole thinking when I first met with Jono Morsano and, and Mashama, um, their business partners, it was just like, this is more than a restaurant, mm-hmm. you know? It's it's more than a restaurant. Yeah. I mean, and and when you that kind of goes to I was trying to think of a more modern way of an elevator pitch, but just the idea that you can tell your story in three 
two minutes or three short sentences, which mm-hmm. I think is key, especially yeah, in this that I'm era like, of I, I'm so long short attention hard. spans. Yep. You really, it, but it's also useful. That exercise is useful not only for you to be able to do. It's essential for you to be able to do, but also for your team. Yeah. For any partners you're trying to do brand collabs. Well, what are who are we? Well, here you go. Right. For anyone on the floor, for you know, that's yep. working at the restaurant. Absolutely. Everyone has to have that elevator pitch. Let's brainstorm so, to come up with a new modern name for that. I've heard like a one-page version, a one-paragraph version, and like mm. a one-sentence version. I think you life just, is about you leave, leave everyone wanting more. Say right. less. Say get less. out quick. You know? Yeah. Ask, so two sentences. Uh, yes. Two to three. Two to three. Um, so I feel like you've kind of answered this a little bit already, but most of the people, I think, you know, DM me if I'm if I'm wrong, but I think, you know... We have several thousands of downloads on this podcast, and I'm still trying to figure out who you all are. Who are you? you And (laughs) what are you doing? Um, But I, my guess is that the majority of them are not in a position right now to hire Mm -hmm. PR. Yeah. So for the quick and dirty Mm -hmm. DIY crew out there, yeah, um, you've already said. Take the time to sit down with your team mm-hmm. and figure out what who you, you are, for, what, your what you stand view. for, mm-hmm. what your point of view is. Craft it into a two or three sentence thing. Probably just have some like highlighted words in there mm-hmm. so that everyone can kind of have these digestible, repeatable sort of things about you. Mm-hmm. But what else would you advise to a founder or a team who can't quite afford the sure. PR, but some hacks? Sure. I would say too, to... Be unafraid to be different, you know, that's going to get people's don't, you know, that's going to get someone's attention. I always tell my team from day one, I was like, if you use any weirdo PR jargon or send an email to a client as a result of no one wants to hear that, just be real. Yeah. Have a personality. Yep. Um, and that goes for any anyone that's trying to get someone's attention. That's actually uh, anyone who hasn't listened. Um, Catherine Woodruff was um, she's the head of communications for Bonza mm. Pasta, and mm-hmm. she was on last week, I guess. And she was her sort of main gist was, you know, act like a person, not like a brand. Yes. Um, and it's funny because I think in a way we've tried, you know, I feel like we need to polish it up a little bit on mm-hmm. our end. Like I think Havens mm. is almost too much. Like too that? much. Hmm. Yeah. Like I don't think we quite our logo looks different in every place and like the sound bites we use are kind of different and no one knows that this is connected to the you know like we're kind of a little bit all over the place um so I feel like a little bit we need to like get a little bit more polished up Mm -hmm. but the ones that kind of come out of the gate and they've got it all figured out and they don't actually have a true identity it kind of you, you start to see them crack mm-hmm. a little bit after a year or two, you know, you start to see them really struggling with like, what do they stand for? Mm-hmm. What do these products all have in, you know, in common? Are they just sort of following, you know, in restaurant world, it might be sort of like, let's do a, a roast cauliflower, right. but in brand world, you know, CPG world, it could be like, let's label this keto. You know, I mean, because these things, they come on and you start to feel like you're almost missing out on something that's going, you know, that's why it's such a relief. If you are really clear with your brand pillars, what you stand for, then you can ignore the noise. Yes. And just keep your eye on the prize. Yes. And, And I will say that the prize, it comes back around, you know, even, 
you know, we're very analog. You know, mm-hmm. we don't have a direct-to-consumer thing. There's no app where you mm-hmm. can order. You know, we're still human beings as baristas. And yep. I feel very, those are, that's one of our values, right, as a company. And for a little while there, it almost seemed like we were kind of an anachronism. And now there's sort of this digital fatigue and people want a real place. And they want a place that isn't prettier sure. on Pinterest than yeah. it is in real life. For sure. And you know, they want human interaction. And I think that, you know, to your point, if, if a listener, if you're out there and you're feeling like the world is passing you by a little bit, just put your head down, have the patience. It will come back around. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and you touched on something I was going to say in terms of if you can't afford PR, I mean, people, you know, your greatest asset is yourself and you're, Mm -hmm. um, looking at it. So I think, (laughs) you know, to, in addition to sort of celebrating who you are and what you stand for and being clear about your values um, and what you're comfortable putting out in the world. The, the other idea of, um, you know, identifying your audience and audiences, but, mm-hmm. you know, what do they listen to? Yeah. Uh, where do they go? What do they watch? Um, and then, and then how do I get to them? How can I be part of the conversations that I want to be a part of? Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a question for you because so let's say, you know, someone out there has a, has a cereal company mm-hmm. and they are, um, they're thinking they know who their target consumer is. Mm-hmm. They, they can almost picture him mm-hmm. or her, you mm-hmm. know, and they could write a little story about their life and they can figure out like where they work and mm-hmm. who they live with and wh- okay. what magazines they read and what yeah. television shows they watch. Then what? <laughs> well, I think any, I mean, this is what's been so interesting and in how quickly um, the world changes, but certainly the PR marketing world. You know, I used to say, oh, no, we're not marketing, because marketing, in my mind, was cheesy promotion. Well, there used to be definite, like, lines, right? Well, now right? it's all marketing. Yes. Really. And um, and the the power of the New York Times to, as an example, to change lives, you know, mm-hmm. for good or ill, is still incredibly relevant. Yeah. So you still need traditional or whatever you want to call it. Press. Uh, yeah, yeah. Media relations. Um, but then the opportunities to do things, especially in the food lane. I mean, I feel yep. so lucky to be in this. Not only am I a trencher woman um, <laughs> f- since forever, but, you know, technology can't disrupt mm-hmm. the need to sit down and have a drink and or have a coffee yep. and break bread and have something delicious to eat. Like we, you know, I joke, but we're not robots yet. No, I know. So, um so that's advantageous, and I think yes. a lot of people want to get in on that, and yeah. a lot of people, um, you know, it makes people happy. I mean, food is, is profound. It's elemental. So yeah. um, so I think those sort of brand collaborations, um, social is a huge piece of what we do, and and I think, you know, the power of, of you know, word of eye is as powerful as word of mouth these right. days, um, clearly. Word of eye. Is yes. that like a That's like term? a thing, I guess. That's it means just like yeah. seeing something on Instagram? Sure. I mean, there are people that go and book trips and yeah. choose their restaurant. They're not reading anything. They're just going on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about that because I have this theory. And, you know, I think partly... And we'll talk a little bit more about the difference between like, you know, a, a CPG and a, and a restaurant yeah. in terms of PR and marketing mm-hmm. and all of that. But I definitely, depending on the category that you're in, so my sauces are fresh, refrigerated, it is going to be very hard for me to sell them directly to consumers 
the shipping is really expensive. They need to be FedExed overnight. Mm. You know, I would have to build mm. out a pretty massive sort of supply chain system. And I'm not quite sure that people want to buy sauce that way. Perhaps they will eventually. But mm-hmm. right now, only 10% of groceries are actually bought online. Most of them are still bought in stores. And the majority of the things that are bought online are bulk items, dry goods, obviously, you know, your your toilet paper and your paper mm-hmm. towels and a lot of times your, you know, like rice mm-hmm. and beans and sure. things like that, heavy things. Mm-hmm. But people still like to go to the market and buy produce and buy meat and hopefully buy fresh sauce. So question, mm-hmm. long-winded way of answering, yeah. of asking. But I feel like this there was an over-promise of digital. Mm-hmm. I feel like there was this sort of moment where everything was going to be virtual and everybody in, you know, at the restaurant was going to be, you weren't going to order from people anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. And there was this world of like, it'll cut all the costs and it'll cut all the middlemen and there'll be no more distributors and there'll be no, and everything's just going to go online. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the pendulum is starting to swing back mm-hmm. a little bit. I feel like people want analog experiences. Definitely. And Look at what we're doing. We're, I'm, right. You know. We're radio. It's like, oh, I know, I know. Well, yeah. And I think that people are a little bit flooded with the new thing that's on their Instagram feed. And I think that they kind of, at this point, have a little bit of, I've seen this influencer holding that bag of, you know, every other one of their posts now feels like an ad. Mm -hmm. And I kind of want to just go and do some discovery on my own. Are you getting any sense that there's like a little bit of a return back to in real life? Well, I don't think they are, you know, mutually exclusive. I think that they absolutely people are craving community. I think the success of of places like Create and Cultivate and The Wing and Mm -hmm. Cherry Bomb and Jubilee. I was just there yesterday. Um, We work for sure. Um, I just was reading the Tyler Haney, the Outdoor Voices piece in New Yorker. Um, who I adore her, and um, but which is, it's interesting. All those are founded by women, um, mm-hmm. but I think that that sort of you know people want to be inspired. They want to get together. I don't know if I'm certain that the political climate has mm-hmm. af- affected that. That you just want to find your tribe and hunker down with people who who you feel seen by and heard by, and um, and then you know certainly with me too and just the the need for transparency and and for people to i mean there's good and bad there i think um uh but i think that people are looking to i mean help people up you know yeah give people opportunities and also to take people down yeah um but but i think there's you know with every opportunity there's inherent challenges and and i think i tell myself that Ultimately, it's it's good. Yeah. And do you think um, launching, because you have a few products in there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's mostly yes. it's mostly places yeah, and chefs. Yeah, no, more and more. We're having, you know, I used to always say, oh, I can do product. I mean, this is a decade ago. Mm-hmm. But I'd be like, oh, it's just too commercial. What's the story, you know? But then there's incredible product stories. Yeah. And incredible people behind that. Yeah, and my guess is more and more people in places like mm-hmm. me that are launching products. Right, want to get something out of right. the, the four walls of the Yeah, restaurant. definitely. And yeah. I feel like we, you know, we have something to offer beyond the four walls and a cookbook. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, so do 
you find that there's a different approach or are the questions that you ask similar? Are they, Very it does similar. It kind of always go to like who you are, what you stand for, it what does, do you want to put out really, into the world? It does, really, it does. Yeah, there's, there's, um, I really, uh, other than, you know, challenges of a restaurant isn't inherently a place to go and the, people can experience it and the product, you know, is more transactional. Mm-hmm. But no, I think that the, the same rules apply. And when you see good marketing or good communications mm-hmm. or good PR, mm-hmm. whatever, yeah. whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. out there in the world, you know, yeah. what, what do you, what are the usual, like, what are the things that sort of like stand out to you that make it really good? That's such a good question. I think it is consistency. It's mm-hmm. part of it. Um, so it's very, uh, you know, oh yeah, I saw that. I do think hitting multiple points, which goes to the idea, the time, the era of too muchness, mm-hmm. that you also, you know, you might be get a spot on billions. Um, you might then see someone an uh, event on someone's feed. Then you might read about it on mm-hmm. Eater, and then you just have to kind of be everywhere. And yeah. then you're invited to this cool collab with Converse, mm-hmm. and they're on. Um, but the consistency of brand messaging and quality. Right. Um, and then again, you know, is there, I mean, I think, you know, marketing, if you're doing a story uh, in the LA Times, then is that, have you magnified that on your social feed? It's just, right. you know. I know, it's so funny. You know, I, when I published my cookbook, I, you know, and I was in L magazine and I was uncomfortable posting it on Instagram. I know. I, I mean, know. I actually, I can't, I look back and I'm like, what, what were you thinking? I didn't, I just thought it was, it looked braggy and I didn't want to be like, thank you so much L magazine for the shout out. You know, well, like I, I hope just, you have changed your tune. I have changed my tune, change but I feel tune. like it was a little bit of a waste. I like, well, it was and I don't think my publisher talent. was thrilled about it actually. No, they you should know? have, you yeah. should have had someone pushing you. I know. I mean, because you can't always be your best advocate. Yeah. I mean, you can't advocate for yourself. And I, I realize that, you know, what we do is a luxury for a lot of people. It's also an insurance policy for a lot of people. Yes, for sure. But I have noted the same thing. And, you know, I, I, when you're asking what, what do you, when you like a campaign that, or notice it, what is it? Mm-hmm. I have always admired the invisible aspect of really great yeah. marketing. Like it is, that's why I didn't do these kinds of things right. that we're sitting here doing forever. I never pitched myself. No, I never, yeah. Who gives... Yeah. Can I cuss here? Who yeah, gives a definitely. Darn? Who gives a damn? No, you're allowed to cuss. All right, it's great. Heritage well, who gives a shit? Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but I, but I, I guess sort of people do. And at this stage, I've been doing it long yeah. enough. That, and I think that goes to your own personal growth. If I'm uncomfortable with things, I'm going to try to say yes. I mean, that's what Dory Greenspan yeah. was spe- speaking about yesterday at um, at Jubilee, where it was just like you know, say yes to the things that terrify you the most. Yes. And, but really, it it was. I hope this doesn't terrify you. Oh, it doesn't. You. You're okay, amazing, good. and this is super okay, good. awesome and fun. <laughs> but but I, I do think that, that I have made myself take yes. a page from Your own younger, playbook. Well, no, from people that have started after uh, me yep. that really are very skilled at promoting themselves. Yes. And I just wanted to see how it felt. Yeah. And I think that's... You kind of, I mean, I tell yeah. my clients, I was like, when you go on TV, you just yep. amplify yourself. Yeah. You have to turn the notch up two to three knots yeah. and amplify your personality. That is what television is. Yeah. And you just have to play that game a little bit yep. if you want to yeah. be successful. I got or really good enjoy. advice. I got really good advice from a yoga teacher, actually. Okay. Because, and it wasn't about, it wasn't about like media as much as it was about fundraising. 
And I just said, you know, I've gotten, as I've gotten older, I'm just really allergic to feeling like I'm being inauthentic in any way. Mm -hmm. And I think it's actually bitten me in the ass a little bit because Mm -hmm. I don't feel like I have much of a personal brand. I I sort of bristle at the idea. I've, I've tried to sort of, I've gotten reluctantly kind of pulled into, I think, a a sort of culture of founder fetish, which Mm, I try to really tell people it's not that much fun honestly Mm -hmm. it can be Mm -hmm. but there's there's some you know slogging for sure but she said something really helpful and maybe this would be helpful for other people she said you don't talk to an eight-month-old the same way that you talk to an eight-year-old true and you don't talk to an eight-year-old the same way you talk to an 18-year-old that doesn't mean that that's not all you talking right now that's great it's all it's all just different aspects of you and my um my gynecologist is actually she just <laughs> <laughs> she just wrote a book. Share a story. You know, I mean she just wrote a book on like being pregnant and pregnancy yeah. and she's like the last person to go out there and promote herself. And, and I said, like, you worked for two years on this thing. Yeah. You like you've you know your shit. Like you yeah. are a really good doctor and, and and you are going to teach a lot of people some stuff that they don't know. You're helping people. Going out there and like pitching yourself and being on these things, like you're doing the world a favor, you know? And she looked at me and she's like, do you ever listen to your own advice? Or are you just like, and I'm sitting there like on the table, you know, like staring (laughs) at her, like trying to like make eye contact and she's busy. Um, But I do, you know, I do think that there is, there is a, there is more of a Mm self-promotion vibe now. It's kind of the hustle quote unquote, Mm -hmm. or, you know, I think we're in similar age brackets and, it was very much, you know, be humble, be under the radar. The only times you want to be in the paper are your birth announcement and your death announcement. That right. was what I heard right. as a kid. <laughs> um, so going back, we have a few more minutes. Yeah. But um, I want to get back because I like the idea of the two to three sentences. But I'm yeah. also wondering if there's anything else just like on one page mm-hmm. that people out there can do. Like, should they have bullet points should they have a a drawing of some sort like should they should they try to figure out who you know if they were a vegetable what would they be or if they were a character from a book what would they be like are there any exercises that they can do to kind of now are we talking about that they're actually going to pitch themselves they're going to try to I mean I think they're going to have they're going to maybe even if they don't go so far as to try to pitch themselves, mm-hmm. although I think everyone should, you know, figure out your local paper, look at other brands out there and see who's written about them and then write them. Well, that- I just think we're in, it's such a powerful time of DMing. I mean, really, you can right. reach anyone. Yeah. I mean, that goes for dating. You know, people don't yeah. share phone numbers. F- I've, I've like tried to stalk some. Like, you've DMed someone and I haven't, them? I haven't DMed them. I've LinkedIn messaged them and okay. they have not returned responded I think yeah well I think that I mean I think it's hard and I think like I'm terrible on LinkedIn like I rarely check it you know I need to turn on those notifications so I go on there to check it but right um I think it's changing I think it's they're making the it it more sort of accessible um but I think the I mean I like to say you know everyone I tell my team if you're trying to get someone's attention you're adding to their already busy day so Mm -hmm. it better be short and sweet and smart and timely and um, and have a personality if you expect a response. And right. it's not like I moved to the city. I didn't know a soul. Right. You know, I paid attention. I read. 
um, and I would reach out to people that I liked their writing. I liked what they did, or I, and this was all you know media. That was it at the time, but. Um, you know, people want their work to be acknowledged. That's human nature. Yep. So do your homework. Right. Read and what they've yes. written. And I mean, I've heard this too. Like if someone writes on architecture, do not pitch them a story oh, about your I mean, peanut that's butter. That's so basic. Yeah. But, but you know what? We don't, we don't know how it works. We literally, really? well, cause you don't know how anything works until you do it. Right. Yeah. People will call us and be like, can I have an event on your roof? And we'll be like, we don't have a roof. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, like, they don't, they just don't, they're like, oh, I read somewhere. Lazy. I think I thought, you know. Yeah. So, you know, I don't, but, but there are, reporters have lanes, mm-hmm. presumably, right? And sure. some do well, roundups. Well, interests. I mean, right? they're humans. They have interests. So pay attention. But also you can, I mean, I, I like the idea that people just DM someone they want to date if they want to, and then they'll check you out. Or yeah. You share, I mean, share your handle versus a number because that's a way to really communicate. Yeah. I mean, so you could reach anyone, yeah. any product, any person, someone is paying attention to those yes. DMs. And so I think it's, that's incredibly liberating. Yeah, and yeah that's true. Slide into someone's DMs. Totally. And when you do that, Okay, best advice, make yep. it short. Short. Should sweet. you have an actual Lose the, pitch? No exclamation out? marks. I'm a real okay, anti no exclamation, exclamation mark. Per- no. No. <laughs> no, it, it, be serious, be cool, be short and sweet, and be out. Okay. Again, leave yeah. people wanting more. It's and very should you just basic. say, you know, hi, we launched this sauce company. We think it. I would spice that language. Okay, up a bit. so. I'd be like, what up? No. Um, <laughs> Yo. This, you know. I mean, just make it sound exciting. I mean, who? A launch. Never use the word launch. That's okay. saved for missiles. Okay. The New York Times agrees. Never use the word launch, no. guys. I right. mean, you know, that's my personal No, opinion. I love that's it. the journalist in me. Um, it's like but, acti- activate. Yeah. I think also you're trying to facilitate. You're trying to turn them on to something they don't know about, which is going to be good for them. Yeah. You know, and historically, I would always share things of people that I, writers or people that I thought were cool, just because I thought it was cool, not because it was a client. Right. So you could be a resource to them, and you're going to tell them something. I also frequently take off the obligation of of a response. Yes. Like, I'm not, I'm not expecting you to get back to me on this. I just want you to know about this. Right. Um, And there is something to be said for not, not necessarily, you know, it's almost like you're, you're planting seeds and, you know, for every, you know, sometimes they don't grow for a while, but just kind of reaching out and saying, hi, this thing exists and hi, I really like your work. And I, you know, I'd be happy to talk sometime or have some coffee. One other question about that is that I, I feel like, because we don't have um, national distribution, Mm -hmm. for example, Mm -hmm. it's been very hard. You know, we've been in a few national publications and they're, and they need available at boom, yeah, you know, and I don't want to send them to my website because I actually don't like sending sauce from Haven's Kitchen. So, um, do you, for restaurants that are in particular areas, mm-hmm. do you ever find it challenging to get sort of national? Press I think you have them? to identify or plug into if there, if there are national trends happening, right? That you so maybe that are bigger relevant. than your product, exactly. Yep, yep, got it. And it could be ingredient based. It could, and you're be, just a part of that larger yeah. story. And understand, but guess what? Those roundups are relevant. Yeah, and they're relevant for SEO searches. They're 
Yeah. You know, they, they matter. I mean, yeah. to be in those lists, I think clients for a while are like, oh, I don't want to be on that list. And now I'm like, okay, bring on the list. Right. Because, and that's an exciting part of what we do too, is the analytics is there. It right. used to be like, you can't measure yeah. buzz and, and you can't, but you can measure likes Yeah. and you can measure, um, you know, whether you see more reservations after yep. you get a, a huge feature and, yeah. you know, Bon Appetit or something. Yeah. Um, no, that makes sense. Yeah. So when you, uh, two couple last questions. Mm-hmm. One is, what do you think that um, brands or restaurants get wrong that you wish you could just sort of make a banner and say, mm-hmm. hey, everybody, do not, do not do this. <laughs> or bad lighting? Bad no. lighting. <laughs> no, I'm really a stickler for lighting. Um, wow. And you mean from a marketing perspective? From their communications strategy perspective or their marketing? I don't, or- but this is my personal thing. I don't like when people are a little too self-serious and there's no way to engage in a, in a, not, not that it needs, not at life isn't light and there's not levity and everything, but I think the, I'm not saying it's not effective right? to really drill down. This is who we are, you know, but I find a little heavy handed right. marketing mm-hmm. tiresome yep. and, and not as real or and authentic, you know? Yep. So I think just be, if you're great. And this is what I love about the city. Mm-hmm. New Yorkers will find greatness. Yeah. They will find it. We, I mean, I can tell you from experience with Havens, people have said, how'd you get, who, how'd you get the press? I mean, cause we've gotten really good you press have. and it's all been from right. people who've come A there. Genuine response. Genuine response. I'm so grateful. So blessed for it. Yeah, you know? It's so but, true, Allie. And that's tremendous. And that's yeah. really the best. I mean, then in the ideal world, you would have someone who's kind of championing you and making some of those things that you just don't have time to yes, get to happen. No, I know. But I, and I do think there is a lack of the connection if you wanted it to be that, but you also have a very busy yeah. life, but, um, <laughs> to, that the connection between you and Havens, I don't think yeah. people just don't know that. Yes. You know, they don't, yeah. most people don't No, unless you're in the, you know, sort of West village circle right. and you hang out, you know, exactly. I, yeah. And I don't know. I think my ambivalence shines through right. a little bit. Yeah. So we're working on it. Great. Um, Last question. Mm-hmm. What um, What's the most fun you've had? I mean, I'm sure you've had a lot of fun. But is there That's a moment? That's such a good question. Like, I, mean, I, even, I will say know. I had a moment. Um, this will tie it all back to my, my upbringing, which we started with weirdly. I've never talked so much about my childhood. Um, I have that effect on I people. I know. It's so funny. Yeah, it's so um, when I was in eighth grade, or I don't know, seventh or eighth grade, and I wanted a polo shirt so badly. Uh-huh. And I was like, are you kidding? I'm not paying whatever for the polo shirt. But all the like cool kids had the polo shirts uh-huh. at camp. And not where, in Pensacola, Florida. I went to camp in North Carolina. And then cut to how many years later, yeah. and I have been, you know, really involved with um, Ralph Lauren and yeah. the, the opening of the Polo Bar. And it's been such an honor. Yeah. And I say, like, as an American, like, I want that brand to survive. Because yes. it's iconic. And yep. he's amazing. Yep. He is an exceptionally wonderful yes. person who has people who've worked with him for yeah. years and years so and years. Like I've 30 heard. years. Everyone. Yep. And here are these tastings that I have got you know, been able to sit beside him yeah. and learn from him and make him laugh and make silly jokes and, and really get into food and his personal history with food. Yeah. And it, what an honor, Yeah, you know? So if you had That's told my amazing. little 11 year old self that you'd be sitting beside Ralph Lauren, Next to Ralph. you know, for many, many yeah. tastings, I wouldn't have been able to believe it. So that's uh, been a thrill. That that's a great, yeah. That's a great story. Yeah. And that's great. And that's how like the memoir ends. Okay, there right. it is. Oh. <laughs> well, that's the first memoir. I was yes, just reading I've... Ruth Reichel's I know, like eighth I'm so excited. memoir. It's so good. I'm sure she's uh, so unbelievable. It's so good. 
Um, all right, Becca, oh, thank you so honor, much Allie. for thank coming. You for it was such me. a pleasure. Was of course, fun. I feel like I have a gazillion other questions, but um, yes, exactly. Um, and Matt, thank you for being such a <laughs> strong engineer. I love that. Um, and can we add wine and offline, please? Yes. Is it wine 30? It's almost it's five. It's almost five. Um, and um, next time on In the Sauce, um, I actually am going to split the time with Rachel, um, who's one of the founders of Seed and Miltahini, and she's going to interview me for Fun. half the time. Yeah, because I feel like people might need an update on what's going on with the sauce. I like it. Um, so thanks for listening, and uh, catch you later. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.